0: Thanks for checking out this podcast presented by Minnesota's very own Ticket King. If you're looking for tickets for an upcoming game or event at TCF Bank Stadium, U.S. Bank Stadium, or XL Energy Center, visit TicketKingOnline.com or the link from the 1500ESPN.com sports calendar page. Ticket King has all your tickets for Minnesota football, plus all the concerts, all the theaters, and at all venues. Call 612-341-4141 or visit TicketKingOnline.com. Pabst Blue Ribbon Always smooth, always refreshing Gold medal winner at the 2016 Great American Beer Festival When you're this good, quality always comes through PBR me, ASAP The following is a Podcast One Minnesota production For those who simply can't get enough talk about the Vikings We present Bonus Chatter Bonus chatter about your favorite team that's unscripted, unfiltered, and uninterrupted. This is another edition of 1500 ESPN's Purple Podcast.
1: Welcome to another edition of the Purple Podcast. We are back after the Super Bowl, and what a Super Bowl it was. I'm Ben Gessling from ESPN, joined by Matthew Collar and Judd Zelgad of 1500 ESPN. We will be discussing the game that was and what your Minnesota Vikings can possibly learn from it. We will also get into uh, some of the Hall of Fame proceedings from the weekend and what they might mean for uh, the the player that I consider to be the most dynamic offensive weapon in the history of the Minnesota Vikings. We may also get into the guy that could also be in that conversation and what his future looks like because what would a week be without conversation and speculation, trepidation possibly, about Adrian Peterson's future. But guys, we'll first get into the Super Bowl, the game that a lot of people are already calling the greatest in history of the 51-year event, uh, the Patriots, of course, coming back from a 28 to three deficit to take the Super Bowl to overtime for the first time in its history, winning 34 to 28, cementing the legacy of Bill Belichick, Tom Brady, blah blah blah. Uh, quite a quite a night. What did you guys think of it? Um, what were your big takeaways from it?
2: Well, I would say that it wasn't the greatest Super Bowl I've ever seen, but it was the craziest about five minutes to end a game. <laughs> That I can ever remember, or at least even if you take it to the fourth quarter, the fact that they enter the fourth quarter with a 99, I think your ESPN – Stats estimate yes. was a 99.6% chance to win that game or something like that, and they end up letting it slip away. And, hey, everybody, start practicing playing Madden so you can figure out game management situations <laughs> because the Atlanta Falcons botched that as bad as any team has ever screwed up a game management situation. They have so the you're
1: ball. saying so seven-step drops when you're – on the edge of field goal range and all you need is a field goal to put it away not not such a good idea
2: it is amazing that two teams see, all little they little had to do here. all Take they had to do was run no, the ball if they just had <laughs> if they just ran the ball the Seahawks win the Super Bowl and if Atlanta just runs the ball or even kneels down. They win the Super Bowl there. So that's a takeaway for the Vikings, by the way, because if they were better at game management, they probably win against Detroit last year if they let the clock go down a little longer. And Atlanta just did not seem to be focusing in terms of what's our win probability right now and how can we get it to to be maximized by running the ball and kicking an extra point. So that'll be one of those things that forever I say to myself, Every time there's a highlight shown of that, or Brady is on TV, can you believe that both of those teams didn't run the ball when that's all they needed to do? Well,
1: I get, I, like, I get there's a lot going on, and I get there's a number of different things to stay on top of. But why aren't coaches better at this? Why do we continue to see the same types of mistakes with clock management? With Situational
3: strategy. This was just over stupidity, though. But this was stupidity. It was like I mean, this was, went into it. this was. This uh, was. This wasn't difficult. This was very, very simple. Let's see. We're up by eight points. We need to set up a field goal. I think we'll try to throw it. I mean, what are you thinking? What are you thinking? In that was stupid. But Collar's right. This was a great finish. This was not a great game. Yeah. Please, 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 please. Fifteen years from now, don't come back and tell me. That that was a great game. It was three quarters of football that was that I said to myself: if I didn't have to watch that game for my job, I would have turned off. It was a fun finish to a game, but it is that game is the poster child for the Red Zone Channel in the regular season. You wouldn't have watched the the Red Zone wouldn't have gone to that game more about three times the entire game, and then in the fourth quarter they they would have gone crazy, right? But as far as football games go, that was three-quarters to me of basically excruciating pain and a great finish born out of complete stupidity by the Falcons. Well,
1: here was the funny thing as I was watching it. I was uh, over—the pastor of my church was having a party, and we had paused the game at one point and were catching up because I think we were watching all the commercials and stuff. So we left when we were at the start of the fourth quarter on the DVR, and we were probably— half the quarter behind. It was 28-9. to nine. And I'm thinking, like, we can go home. And I get in the car, and I get an alert on my phone saying the Patriots just scored to make it 28-20 with, like, four minutes left or whatever. I'm like, holy crap, this may go to overtime. So we're getting in the car. I'm listening to the end of it on the radio. I think to <laughs> overtime. Like, we're gonna, I'm like, I'm going to be getting kids out of the car, and we're going to be going inside, and there's going to be some, like, 80-yard touchdown on the last play for it not to go to overtime. It's going to be over, and I'm going to miss it. That fortunately didn't happen. I was able to watch the end of it at home. But it was it was weird because I was like, I I I don't I didn't really see a lot of the comeback. It was 28-9, to 9 and then I get back in, and they had scored the epic field goal meltdown. and the touchdown. It was yeah, an epic I mean, bleep and meltdown it, is what that it, was. It was, just, it was a bizarre experience for me kind of being in this time warp. It's like, the left thing, and this is a blot. It's over. The Falcons are going to win. And then you get back in the car, and it's like, these guys are actually going to pull this off. As, as soon as it got to 28-20, I'm like, the Patriots are going to find a way to win it. They just... Seem to be one of those teams that they find a way to do it. But like you guys are saying, the, the Falcons certainly were a, an accomplice, uh, if not more than that, in, in making that happen. Here's my question. That meltdown, is there anything in Vikings history that competes with it? Or is this worse than anything that's ever happened to the Vikings? Do we no longer have the market cornered on gut-wrenching
3: defeats? There is nothing that comes close because <coughs> because of the stage. Think about it. I mean, you've got NFC title games, okay, big stage, not this stage. If you think about all of the ingredients that went into this meltdown, and by the way, it's a complete meltdown. Your defense got completely tired and melted down. Your offense melted down. Your coaching staff. So I would say if you look at Atlanta's sports history now, I would say we've got nothing on them. They They have literally lost two hockey teams. I don't mean those teams lost. Right. I mean they left town. Right. Uh, I believe the Atlanta Hawks moved to the, uh, from St. Louis in about 1968. No finals. Yeah. Uh, the the Falcons are now 0 two in Super Bowls with probably the most excruciating loss. And the Atlanta Braves m- won the division for years and years and years and years. They have one World Series, yep. and I believe they have. I believe they they made it the World Series 91, 92, 96, and 99. So. Atlanta. I 95. No. They they won, they won, it won it in 95, 95 against Cleveland. Yep. But my point is, Atlanta, congratulations. You got us beat. You're worse. You're bigger chokers than us every day of the week now. The thing is, they don't
1: really care that much. I think that's why. It's a bad sports stuff. It is. So I think that's why we, we tend to put ourselves up there, and, and we haven't had a title since 91. But I suppose they haven't had one since 92. It's only a year difference. No, it wasn't even 92. It was 95. 95. It was a loss to Toronto. Correct. In 92. So, yeah. I mean, yes. they That one is... To me, I agree. I don't. I don't think there's anything in Vikings history that competes with that. In large part, because the Vikings haven't had a competitive Super Bowl in the history. They've all been either kind of snoozers or they've been blown out. So it's hard to put anything on that level and that methodical of a meltdown has not really been the way the Vikings have lost it. They've had games where things haven't gone their way at the end, or they've they've had brain farts at the end. Uh, but t- to blow a lead like that, I mean, that was. Glenn Mason. That's
3: that's the Saints game in the Super Bowl. Yeah. Right.
1: But they weren't ever up on the Saints that much. No, no,
3: no. no. But my point is, my point is, if you were driving down in the Super Bowl uh, to win the game on a field goal and you send 12 men in and, and all that, that's awful. But it wasn't the Super Bowl. So I don't think I don't can't remember any Vikings loss that was this bad. Matthew not this bad
2: yeah I think that it's worse than any time you lose a close game where you were back and forth I mean thinking of wide right for the bills I mean that's a close game it's a great game between two really good teams and it comes down to a field goal and the guy misses the same thing you would say Atlanta and the Vikings with uh Gary Anderson missing wide left it's like look it was a it was a close game you're right there on the doorstep and you just can't make a field goal It's devastating, but it's not embarrassing to have lost the game that way. It's, hey, well, that happens. It was bizarre that he missed the field goal of that range. But, hey, look, you know, you were right there. You probably should have won. In this case, you are like the guy who has a touchdown and then drops the ball at the one-yard line, and it rolls in for a touchback. I mean, that's basically what they did. They were— Leon Lett. Yeah, that's that's Leon Lett. You are 99% of the way there— all you have to do is just—it's like the the Seinfeld episode where he's got the lawsuit won, <laughs> and then he tries on the gloves or has a try on the bra, I think, right? <laughs> <laughs> You're
3: right.
2: Because he listens to his caddy. That's what it was—a tap-in putt, and and then they somehow let
3: that slip away. Yeah, I, I mean, it was—it was, it was absolute. Classic ex- episode. Did that one have the the, the the
1: actor that was supposed to be Johnny Cochran? Yes, oh, like yeah. the, ja- the Jackie, Child. Jackie Child. Jackie yeah. Child was a
3: great character, by the <laughs> way. That character was fantastic.
1: <laughs> so all the talk about this being a great Super Bowl, <laughs> I, I agree that for a lot of it, it wasn't a great game. It's a crazy finish, but one of the things that I, as I think about this, I don't know that we've ever had a Super Bowl that for four quarters has been this great back and forth, and then. M- memorable finish i mean the the panthers patriots one had a crazy second half san, but it was like 3-3 at san halftime san francisco
3: cincinnati right didn't that didn't that uh, yeah. end late with a pretty good finish i would also yeah, say did, but rams uh, and titans rams and titans sure. was pretty back I remember back and that one kind of being slow in the first half though i mean in, in terms of like but you know I mean, what maybe this was they 35-31 kind of this game on on <laughs> a large scale to me was the poster child for this league today yeah it was it was a game where if I don't have to, I don't I don't want to watch the entire game. But come to me near the end, it's exciting and this league, to your point, Ben, is filled with what? It's filled with self confident people who are convinced they know what they're doing yep. and screw up. I yep. mean think about it. Think about how many games we see year to year where you do have just baffling decisions made. It's like you can't you don't know what to do with the clock or your play calling. I mean, I'm sorry, but Play calling in that case wasn't that tough. Yeah. Right. Don't you just run the ball, set up the field goal, hope you don't fumble? I mean, what are you doing passing? It's it's inexplicable to me.
1: Well, and it's not you, that tough. You wonder too, how many times in those situations there's somebody on the headset that says, "Hey, don't we want to <laughs> think about? Uh, no, okay, that's cool." Passive aggressive guy. I mean, how many times? I don't do know people, about that. But how many times do head coaches hear that stuff and say, "No, screw it, we're going to do it my way." And you know, because I'm the head guy, and I'm going to do what I want, and you guys cannot go suck it. Like, I, you, you honestly wonder how many times that that happens, where there's somebody that has a more sensible way of doing things that gets shouted down because the head coach is the one in charge, or somebody doesn't want to speak up because the head coach is the one in charge. I would be very fascinated to know, and we never will. But how much deliberation goes on in those moments where somebody may have a better idea? but it never gets brought to light because they're not the one in charge.
2: What's amazing to me is that you have quality control coaches, and I'm not trying to downplay their role, but for special teams, right? So, like, you couldn't have a person who's directly responsible for game management, clock management, and things like that? You should. The head
1: coach would conceivably be that guy, but... Time and again, we see the head coach isn't capable of doing it because right. I mean, they have a lot of things going on.
2: Right. The way that I would look at the head coach's role is you're the CEO of everything. Like yeah. You're overseeing the entire game plan. You're the one that's implementing it and managing your offensive and defensive coordinators and your personnel and all those sorts of things. But when it, w- will they not admit that they're not good at game management? Is yeah. that is that the problem because they're they're geniuses at the actual Xs and Os of these things. Right. Mike Zimmer is a great example of this. I totally believe that when it comes to defensive game planning and things like this that you're not going to find too many people on the planet earth who know more about how to do it, right? But when it comes to the number of reps that someone like that would get, in clock management, as yeah. opposed to me playing Madden, I have way more. I've played <laughs> thousands of Madden games, which are just like flight simulators. Right? I mean, the people who are in the Air Force have flight simulators. It's the same thing. It's the same situations you run into all the time. So should they hire someone who plays a lot of Madden or Maybe just, Dan Quinn needs to play more Madden, or, or or play more Madden, or but these but these guys spend so much time <laughs> morning to night game planning and scouting and going through every. Flip on tape. the PS4 for like an hour. There's that idea. You or, got the time to or do, or do it, hire or hire someone who hire at least understands it. You don't have to be a gamer to get it, but someone who puts a lot of work studying it.
3: Yeah. Mike yeah. Zimmer would would benefit if they would hire someone and say, Mike, this is your clock person. Yeah. Any clock questions? You don't have to concern yourself, because. The thing I'll say have is... Have somebody
1: to run it by, at least.
3: Well, right, but the thing I'll say is clock management can be difficult in the sense that even if you try and go through through scenarios, things will happen during the course of a game that are goofy and screwy. Right, But that's and why they you, very But fast. that's why you want that person to say, okay, it's goofy and screwy, but I get it. Right. I can help you here.
1: I have to think quickly. I have to make a decision as in appo- 10, 15 seconds. As
3: opposed to you just guessing about yeah. the clock and... Yeah, but that... That Falcons, I mean, the whole thing to me, and it was, guys, it was like a slow car crash. It's yeah. like you could see it developing, and you're thinking to yourself, this is coming apart. This is coming apart, and the Falcons were like, no, it's not, no, it's not, we're fine. It's like, no, you're not fine. You're coming unscrewed. And then as they came unscrewed, they became dumber.
1: Yeah, yeah.
3: It's like, slow it down now. Now you want to slow it down, and instead they're like, oh, I don't know. You know what? We'll, we're just going to have Mad- Maddie pass the ball.
1: These are my favorite ones where, and I'm not sure if it happened in this situation, I'm not talking about anybody specifically, but when these happen and you get the coach that gets to the podium and says, ah, you know, it's really complicated. You guys don't understand it. What all goes into this stuff? It's like, really? This is that complicated? I mean, I know they they like to make everything seem complicated and that like it's rocket science, but especially, and I reject that premise overall. I think it's something that anybody can learn if they have access to all the information. But especially in these situations, it's like, no, this isn't that complicated. It's a lot of it's common sense, and I get that there's a lot of things going on, and, and sometimes you have your brain lock up in those situations. We all kind of go through that, having to make decisions on the fly like sure. that. But uh, to say that it's it's it was an issue of complexity
3: in a lot of cases, that's not true. Dan Quinn these. looked completely lost too. Yeah, I mean he he looked like he had been hit by a truck. Yeah, he had no answer. It is
2: there. There is a part of me that just has to purely respect. Tom Brady and Bill Belichick's ability yeah. to be in the heads of guys. It's kind of like with Jordan where people got leads on Jordan and they put him in tough situations. Tiger and Woods like, circa 2000. The, and yet every time, right. Tiger Woods, anybody who was playing around him See, would just up that melt board. down. Yep. And it's like you can hear the footsteps coming, and that's what ends up happening. And I do respect that, that they have just set such an incredible standard that you could almost see the Falcons looking over there like the rest of us going, oh, no, this is going to
3: happen, right? right?
1: These guys, 28 to 3, this can't be
2: right.
3: But then then after that, you, you get out of character and become dumber. Yeah. So instead of being like, okay, I can sense these guys coming, and they're really good, and so I'm going to do this, they say, you know what? Let's get a little bit more complex.
1: Well, in some in some ways, this is what makes sports fascinating: is that for all of the X's and O's, for all the preparation, for all the minutia, you're still talking about human beings that have irrational thoughts and tendencies and fears and things that they go to over and over and over, even though they maybe shouldn't in that situation. That's where these things happen, and and we can sit here and debate it and, and what goes into it. But the fact that you're still dealing with human beings who are capable of folding under the pressure, like we all are, is what makes some of it compelling. So, I, you know, I think we we can sit here and dissect it, but uh, it's it's certainly a it's certainly fascinating hire, drama when we have hire that. hire
3: someone to help you yeah. with the clock, and I guarantee you. It's, gonna, it's going to happen in the next few years. One team will do it, and as soon as one team does it, guess what's going to happen in this league?
1: Everybody, it. Everyone
3: will do it. It's not that tough a hire. You've got coaching staffs that are enormous now. Yeah. Hire a clock management person. For $70, and tell $1. these old guys smoking cigarettes in a coach's room watching film that youngster's coming in here, and guess what? He's going to help you with the clock. And if you don't like it, that's too damn bad.
0: Hey, guys, it's Phil Mackey from 1500 ESPN and one of the hosts of Sports Over Beers, the original 1500ESPN.com podcast, where you find your favorite 1500 ESPN personalities drinking beer and talking sports. Pretty simple. Find it on iTunes, Podcast One, and 1500ESPN.com. Pabst Blue Ribbon is always smooth, always refreshing, and the perfect choice at the game or out with friends. And now, add gold to the great PBR tradition, cause Paps Blue Ribbon was awarded the Gold Medal for American Style Lager at the 2016 Great American Beer Festival. That makes four gold medals for PBR in the last 11 years. Not bad, it's that gold medal taste that has made Paps Blue Ribbon a Twin Cities favorite. When you're this good, quality always comes through. Go for the gold. P. B. Army, A. S. A. P.
2: You would think that owners like he, would be the ones who'd be who'd push this more than yeah. Anything, it would have to come it?
1: from the top, wouldn't it? Right. I
3: mean, but did, after what you saw on Sunday, how could you not? Comfortable in the How could skin. you not say there's a really good cautionary tale for me and my team? Yeah. Think I'm going to learn from that? Yeah. As opposed to, oh, my guy would never have that happen to him. Which is how teams are. They're convinced. Oh, we're fine. We're good. No, they yeah. are not.
1: Speaking of cautionary tales, and, and maybe this isn't a cautionary tale so much as. Uh, maybe a harbinger of what's to come. We'll see. But over Super Bowl weekend, Terrell Owens once again does not get into the Hall of Fame, despite numbers that I think a lot of people would say are good enough to have him there. And the reason I bring this up, of course, is that our very own Randy Moss, uh, Minnesota's on Randy Moss. I don't mean ESPN's on Randy Moss. So not doing well, that. He thing. does work with you. He does. You're I, co-workers. Yeah, with I, guess, him. I guess you guys we got are, great hands, both of you. Yeah. It's, you know, we we spend a lot of time uh, chilling in the break room in, in Bristol, the one time a year I'm there, and that kind of thing. But Uh Randy Moss is eligible to be inducted into the Hall of Fame for the first time next year, which means, of course, his candidacy will be debated by the Venerable Pro Football Writers of America voting panel for the first time in Minneapolis next February, and he will find out on the Saturday before the Super Bowl whether he is going to be in the Hall of Fame. My question is, number one, should Moss be a first-ballot Hall of Famer, and number two, does... Terrell Owens' inability to get in mean that Randy Moss may have some trouble coming his way.
3: Just to set things up here, when it comes to TO, I found out this: they go so so they basically meet all day long, yep. right, yep, and they and they debate these guys. They start the day with fifteen players' names, yep. They go from fifteen to 10, 10 to five, and then and then they don't vote until the last five. Yeah, Terrell Owens' boys didn't make it to the ten to the final ten. Yeah. So he was never voted on. So this guy, whose statistics are incredibly similar to Moss, yes. didn't make it from 15 to 10.
1: And and this That's has been a, big a committee. Deal to me. Yes, and this has been a committee that has been tough on receivers in recent years. Andre Reid had to wait. Tim Brown had to wait. Chris Carter had to wait. All of those guys eventually got in, but it was not as automatic as it was in a lot of cases. Should Moss be in that group that has to wait? I, I have a very set opinion on this, but I want to hear what you guys think first.
2: Well, I think when you say the words, first ballot Hall of Famer, yeah. if I just went through in my head of all the players I ever saw, I would say I would start making a list, and I would say, well, Jerry Rice would be there, yep. and someone like uh, Brett Favre or Joe Montana, all the players, I, I have, if I went position by position, at the wide receiver position, I go Jerry Rice, and then Randy Moss would yep. be the next one that I would put there. One of the most dominant NFL players in the history of the game has all the numbers to back it up, that he is among the elite ever. And the thing that's crazy about it is that Terrell Owens has more consistent numbers throughout wow. his career. He didn't quit on any teams, though he was talked about as a poor teammate. But yes. it wasn't the same way with Good Randy Moss. push in his
1: driveway or whatever the heck that was. Yes, all,
2: all of that. But he had his huge moments, his nine catches for 122 yards in the Super Bowl on a broken ankle. Every I'm talking about Owens there, but everything that Owens has is similar enough to Moss to say, how, how would these guys both not be first ballot yeah. Hall of Famers? If through an entire era they are the first two that come to mind, if you put Jerry Rice in the previous era, as the best two players at their position, then they absolutely belong in. And when you're putting in a kicker before one of the greatest players yeah. at a skill position, one of the best touchdown scorers in NFL history, and you're putting in a kicker before it, you think, okay, this is, this is a personal thing against Owens. But now, does that carry over? Then, do you almost have to make it about Moss? And then, could there be a personal thing against him too, since he had his own issues?
1: Yes. Well, that's what—that's where I think these two. I mean, the numbers are very similar, and the receiver position being difficult is certainly similar. But the fact that both of these guys were controversial players in their own ways—that's where I wonder if the parallel is there between Owens and Moss, because Owens, I you know, I think the thing you you thought with him is. You know, contract issues. He he certainly had his elaborate celebrations. He would get into to tiffs with people on the field. Going you know dancing in the star in, the, in Dallas and that sort of thing. I don't know that you ever accused him of quitting on a team the way Moss did it. Or in the famous "I play when I want to play." Yep. Walking off the field early in Washington in two thousand four. You know, quitting on routes a, consistently. Yeah, you know, throwing a fit. If the ball the, wasn't thrown to him. The, the, the NFC title game when he couldn't get his guys on the field. Yep.
3: I will I wonder if those things will dog him in this process? So my perception is this: I think the committee sees T.O. as a bad teammate, like they considered him to be a to be a destructive locker room influence. I don't know that they'll see Moss for the same thing, yeah. but I think what they will what they will know and see is that Moss played. I mean, Moss did too. I mean, if if <laughs> there were games where if if he was not the target. He was not going to run or, or yeah. out, And, I mean, Mike Tice came up with the Randy ratio in 2002 based on the fact that Randy was ticked. Um, I just, I guess, here's what I, I don't get. Both of them should be in the hall. Both of them should have gone in the hall the first time. And what I don't understand is, can you... Make a case to leapfrog Moss over Owens yeah, next year. Yeah, that'll be really because interesting. Because I also I also don't see um, with, with the way that this position has been treated. I also don't see two guys yeah. going in on one ballot. Um, but that's a shame, and I struggle with this. So now, evidently, the uh, 40 people that vote on this have gotten into, or they must be getting into, deep discussions about personalities and blah blah blah. Where do you stop that discussion then? Yeah, and so. I think I th- right now. If I were to put odds, I think Moss gets left out, and that's a crime. Yep. Randy Moss was single handedly responsible for Ro- Ron Wolf, who I believe is a Hall of Fame GM. Yes, right? he is uh, inducted uh, maybe two years ago. Randy Moss is f- responsible for Ron Wolf in the '99 draft, taking not one, not two, but three corner va- or three defensive backs in the first three rounds. Yep. I also believe if you look back in history, the Tampa 2, not the cover 2, the Tampa 2 in Tampa Bay from Dungy was born of the fact that that was intended to stop Moss. Yes. So if we're ever talking about a guy who changed the game, if we're talking about how how did the league go from where it stood in the 90s to today's passing and all these rules, Randy Moss was a big part. And if that's not a first ballot guy, then discourage whole committee is goofed up in my opinion.
1: Yeah, I'm completely with you on that, and for a lot of those reasons, uh, in the fact that he changed the game in a way that few guys have. He was the guy that I think you wanted to watch if you were a fan of him, a fan of the team that he was playing on at the time or just interested in football. He was the guy that if you were a fan of the team he was playing, he scared you more than anybody else, and he was the guy that your team had to spend the week trying to figure out how to stop. And yes, we could talk about how he took plays off. He had years where he wasn't as good as he should have been in spite of all that. And in spite of the fact that he probably could have played longer than he did. I mean, there was all those talks about comebacks a couple of years ago. His numbers at the position are probably in a lot of cases, second, no more than third, no worse than third all time. And his 2007 season with the Patriots stands out as one of the greatest by a receiver ever when he caught 23 touchdowns from Brady. It was his rookie year with the Vikings, and he had the year with the Vikings where I think he had 100 and some catches and you know 1600 yards, 17 touchdowns, whatever the heck it was. And I, to me, yeah, the a guy that was that dominant. I I'd never look at Terrell Owens being as dominant and singularly. So far above what anybody else was doing, the way I look at Randy Moss doing, yeah,
3: he should be a first ballot Hall. Retire his number, for the Vikings, and but I I just I just fear that that this committee has become so I don't know you know let's talk about his personality, type of teammate. Where do you stop that conversation, you? Well,
2: I, I think we know this, too, that as uh, reporters, we'll have guys sometimes that we like and talk to us a lot, and we think, man, that's a, that's a good guy right there. They must love him. And in the locker room, they don't. You yeah. might find out later, like, oh, they couldn't actually stand that guy. And then the other way goes, too, where you'll have guys who won't talk to you as a reporter or won't give you anything or won't say hello or whatever, just seem unfriendly, and you might think, oh, man, that guy seems like uh, everybody couldn't stand him. And it's the exact opposite because sometimes what you put out there, what you present – To the world doesn't always (laughs) equate to what you actually are to your team. Now, with Randy Moss legitimately quitting on the Oakland Raiders, for example, or other teams too, uh, now, I mean, that's something that we can put our hands on, but we also don't know about everybody else in times that they quit. I mean, would you, if you put in Jonathan Ogden, would you remember if he quit on his team for a half a season?
3: And you would have no idea.
2: You would have no idea, but it's more obvious when the guy is a a megastar and he's a wide receiver and things like that. The other Thing too is, Brett Favre has his own issues, right? When it comes to any of this stuff, I've got off the field stuff with him, too. It has been in my mind that if these were white quarterbacks as opposed to black wide receivers, and it was the same act, that I wonder if they would easily be put in the Hall of Fame because with Brett Favre and his problems, or I mean, you ask around the league for people to tell you Peyton Manning stories and the thing that Peyton Manning did when he was in Tennessee in college. I mean, he is not always painted as the best teammate or the friendliest guy or anything like that. And I don't think we have any question that he's top two at his position for the era and that will go in right away with no question. The same standard should be held for the wide receivers.
1: Well, and I think, I mean, you bring it up. I think one of the things that goes into this a little bit and it's the reality of it, I'm not saying it's. it probably shouldn't happen, but it, it is going to happen and it is what it is, is that when you have writers voting on these things, how those players were perceived by the media, how they handled the media, oh, does so. matter.
3: And, and and we can
1: roll our eyes about that. We can complain about it. We can all do our get on our soapbox and talk about how the media is entitled and all this stuff. But when the media has the vote, that is going to affect perceptions in people's and, minds
3: and if you're a borderline guy yeah i'm okay with that it might not be fair but moss isn't moss was i i covered moss when he came back here in 2010 for a month and he was a pain in the ass he was not a good guy yeah. he doesn't like adults he's distrusting he doesn't want to talk to people he was surly cantankerous a real bleep job but you know what his numbers do they scream i'm a first ballot Hall of Fame guy. And if Moss was a borderline, hey, he had a really, really nice career. Well, you know what? The fact he, he was a jerk, if you if you want to come back at me and say, I don't know, that's fine. But when you're looking at a guy like Tio or Moss, if you get hung up on, you know what, I didn't like him, that's a you problem. Yeah. It, there are some guys where their statistics overwhelm you. And if you watched Moss play from the day he got there with the Vikings, if you watched the Packer game in ninety yes. eight the Cowboy game, those games, if you didn't say this is a special, special player, then you basically weren't paying attention to the games. The,
1: the Packer game in 98 for me is like the equivalent of you know one of those albums that you hear for the first time and you're just like, oh. Things are going to be different now. Like, this is the way the world is going to work. Never mind. It's like hearing that for the first time. We don't really do that anymore because nobody listens to the same albums and most of them suck. because kids are screwed (laughs) up today. Kids don't get it.
3: But it's like hearing that. Yes, you're right. For the first time, you're like, oh, okay, this is what we're doing now. And the Packers and and Ron Wolf watched that game and said, I've got to change. I've got small corners. They can't do it. No, that's 100% right. But everything that Moss did... From that year on for about, what, the next four or five, yeah. you said this is changing the face yep. of this league, and it gave the league an opportunity to see what could happen when passing attacks work yeah, like that. So much fun. And so it was, it was. But my point now is if you sit there and say, but, but the, the numbers th- are inflated, we can't, the counting stats, I'm sick of that one, the counting stats, we can't tell because of count. Did you watch the damn games? Yeah. The counting stats yeah. are huge. Yeah. You know, watch the. If you didn't watch the games, then you shouldn't vote.
1: Yeah, well, and, the, and the, that's it for me. Yeah,
2: well, I would also say if you if you were going to ask how many players had that effect on pro football, I mean, how many can you come up with? Maybe like
3: Gale Sayers, Barry Sanders, Jim Brown type of guy, who, who I didn't see play, but Jim Brown. I, mean, I there's but, only, but I mean like game like there so Lawrence different. Taylor, probably. Yeah, Lawrence yeah. Taylor for sure. Yeah,
2: and that's I mean ask t- Sandra Bullock, Dion maybe as the uh, yeah Sandra Bullock
1: the blind side
2: it, Oh I never you know,
1: saw that. Lawrence Taylor the, in the monologue of the movie. Oh, I uh, went
3: never over like a fart in church there. Sorry. Well, I just haven't very like how, how Seen he the know. movie. It's yeah, it's,
1: There are apparently a lot of that story is is Do you uh, think there is 10 guys anyway. like
3: that? Probably 10 guys? I you,
1: yeah. I don't think you could I don't think there's more than that. I, I think you can count them on. I mean, you could probably go back to a guy like Don Hudson. I mean, that's probably a fair one given the fact that the forward pass wasn't around like that at the time, but it, I it's not many and he he absolutely, for me, is in that group. And if you're in that group, you should be in the Hall of Fame as soon as you're able to get into it. The last topic we will discuss today, as we all figuratively need a sounder drop our one. mics.
3: <laughs> need a sounder for this.
1: Warning, <laughs> Adrian Peterson conversation
3: coming. Where, where is Adrian going, 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 going? Is he gone, 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 gone?
1: i I will i will pause for a second for a a bit of uh self-promotion before these (laughs) the few of you that get annoyed by uh i was talking about adrian peterson turn this off uh find us on itunes uh, give us a review give us a rating and help people find us Helps people uh join our little community that we're building here uh you can of course subscribe to us on itunes you can find us on podcast one um you can obviously get us on 1500 espn.com but uh it certainly makes it easier for other people to find us if, uh, if you guys leave us a review and a rating on iTunes. So when you get a chance, we would, we would uh, be much obliged if you would do so. Now, to reward you for your loyalty, we will once again talk about Adrian Peterson. Adam Schefter reports over the weekend that there is a belief in league circles, I believe that was the wording he used, um, that Adrian Peterson could end up with, drumroll please, and, uh, the Dallas Cowboys. How about them Cowboys? Now, we've all had fun with it, and, and the Don Van Natta story, that the uh, very fascinating profile of Jerry Jones from a couple of summers ago that talked about all of the borderline tampering between him and Adrian Peterson certainly fanned those flames. But do we see this as a realistic possibility if Adrian Peterson t- should hit free agency in a month?
2: I will say yes for but it, it, you would have to have Peterson put aside his ideas that he would be a number 1 running back. Obviously, yes. Although now here's the thing, he might have to because there not, might not be anybody else in the league that says, "Yeah, come here and carry the ball 300 times." But if you think about how many touches Ezekiel Elliott got last year, he carried the ball 322 times. Right. You are starting to tiptoe on Larry Johnson and Sean Alexander when you're carrying it 320 plus times. Yep. You are getting in that range. That's dangerous range, even for a young running back. If you want to have Ezekiel Elliott be your star running back for a decade, handing them the ball close to 350 times is probably not a way to do it. You're going to burn him out pretty quick. So I also looked up that Ezekiel Elliott was carrying the ball a lot when they had the lead and they had games in hand. If you brought in another running back, Adrian Peterson, to basically be your pound out the clock type of guy, be your closer. Be your Mariano Rivera. Right, exactly. Pitch one inning and it's what you know or just you know spell him every once in a while. I think that it would be good for the Cowboys yeah. to have that guy because their offense will be probably good enough to have a lot of blowouts and have a lot yeah. of leads that Seems they reasonable. need to finish off. And last year they had Alfred Morris and Darren McFadden as the backups. Neither one of those guys did anything with one of the greatest offensive lines we've ever seen. I think Peterson could do well enough for 4.5 yards a carry on maybe 100 to hundred and. 20, 130 carries, that he would be a valuable part of a team that's got a chance to win a Super Bowl. Seems
1: reasonable, but the sports grinch is over here shaking his head. I have a question for you, Ben Guestland. So I'm going to let you two in. I'm going to drop the door to I have the a question cage for you, and ben go Guestland. at it. Yeah. I have a question for you. Yeah, I'm all here. I, I'm covered, here for you. I
3: covered Peterson from 2007, his first year with the Vikings, through 2010, my last year on the beat. Yes. You have been around him far more recently Since 2012. than I and, uh, and have been with his camp and certainly know lots about him. Collar's Pollyanna suggestion is awesome. <laughs> and if that were to work, more power to Peterson. Do you think that Peterson's ego... Now, he might say yes, so so he might box himself up here. But do you think that when push comes to shove and he, and he realizes in that skull of his, oh, my God, this is my role, do you think he could take it? Because the guy I covered couldn't take it. And, yeah. and I've been around him enough at home games and when he didn't get the ball enough... That I think he's grown more delusional, not less. But do you think that he could take it?
1: I think that would be a very difficult adjustment for him. I I think the only way that this works is if he's going to accept that role. Because he's not going to be the guy unless Zeke Elliott would get hurt. In which case, he is. But going in there saying, you are not going to be the man. You are going to be the alternative to the man. And you're going to get... 120 carries. I I think I I mean I think it makes a lot of sense in a in a in a vacuum. But I do think it would be very very difficult for him to get his head around that. I think it's one thing to say you have a chance to be the featured back, which you know a team like Houston, you know we talk about them as an option. They have Lamar Miller certainly, but not a guy that is going to unequivocally put you number two in the pecking order. Zeke Elliott would put you number two in the pecking order, and that would also then affect the contract you're going to get. So right. that, to me, would be a very difficult hurdle for him to scale if he were, in fact, going to end up in Dallas.
3: The interesting thing to me, too, is that <coughs> Peterson's age, 32 in March, I believe, Yes. ordinarily what uh, teams want at that point is a versatile back. Yep. So as you age, you know, if you can also block and catch passes and play on third down, that's great. He can't do that. And so if, if you're the Cowboys
1: – Zeke Elliott can, as Mike Zimmer he can. made great pains
3: to point out. Yes. playing the Dallas Cowboys. And he can, but my point is this. If you're the Cowboys and you sign him, you, you would have to go down the path that Matt just talked about, right. which is you are our sort of change of pace if we're ahead by a lot guy. You know, you're not going to play on third down. You can't – so he's very he, – it's very intriguing to me that Peterson thinks, thinks he can keep playing for so long because he doesn't have the versatility or ability uh to carry on as this back who you know at 35 oh great he can come in on third down and so i think his best option is to go to a place like tampa possibly yeah and just one of the teams you mentioned when he run the as ESPN much as possible for two or three more years and then you're just done yeah. Yeah. I mean it, it's that ego be... though, man. I don't see him going someplace and being happy. Well now speaking playing. speaking of the ego though, now I, I wouldn't know how
2: important this is to him, but if I was a member of his camp and I was talking to him about his possibilities. It's a big group, by the way. I would say, Mr. Peterson.
1: Uh <laughs> would Tampa- you knock
2: first? Tampa Bay is okay. yeah, would you say
1: that? In that voice, or would you say it more of a Stephen A. voice?
2: <laughs> However, Mister Peterson, uh, Mister uh, Peterson, a mitigated disaster. Um, All those well,
1: white people can't do Stephen A.
2: No, so we really can't. can't do what I would say is, <laughs> look, Tampa Bay is a nice team, and Jameis Winston's a rising quarterback, and Mike Evans might be a top three receiver in the league. That's a that's a nice team. Are they going to win the Super Bowl? Probably not. That would be my case to try and convince Adrian Peterson if. I were in his you know, circle to consider something like that as opposed to being the number one guy on a team that is just going to be okay. And I would also say, look, I mean, if you're thinking about Tampa Bay or Houston, these are not offensive lines that blow anybody away yeah you may only get 150 carries but you may average five yards a carry if you go down and play with the dallas cowboys i was looking up this number in terms of stuffed runs even in 2014 yeah adrian peterson's percentage of stuffed runs was double what ezekiel elliott 2015, was 15 you mean yeah 2015 he sorry didn't have a lot of stuff no didn't didn't have a lot of anything that yeah. year um but anyway, 2015, yes, the stuffed runs. He still averaged four and a half yards a carry, but he was getting hit behind the line of scrimmage yep. way more than Ezekiel Elliott was last year. fam and fam, feast. Here's the thing for the ego. If, if you add a Super Bowl to your resume for that Hall of Fame we were just <coughs> talking about, you have completed as Adrian Peterson everything you need for an argument for I'm one of the greatest players to ever play. Without that Super Bowl – you're still really, really good, but that kind of like Jerome Bettis that solidifies it. Bettis is probably a Hall of Famer anyway. You add a Super Bowl to that, and it's okay. You're one of the best that ever played.
1: Well, and here's the thing, and, and I think Charles Robinson tweeted about this a little bit on Sunday, and, and I believe Charles also uh, has some some contacts in the Peterson camp. He talked about how Peterson, you know, obviously we all know he grew up a Cowboys fan. There are still a lot of members in his family that are big Cowboys fans, and I. You know, he One of the things he mentioned, and, and this has been my sense too in, in the time I've spent around Adrian and his family, is that that if you have a chance to win a Super Bowl in Dallas and retire as a guy that won a Super Bowl in Dallas and you sort of are always associated with those teams and you get that sort of sheen of champion Dallas Cowboy, I, I think there's a part of that that would be very attractive to him. Now... The problem about getting there is what you're saying, Judd, of of how do you deal with the role that you would have to take to do it. Now, the question I, I think it, that it becomes, and then you know, this is sort of a question we, we talk about with Adrian a lot, where it, the tipping point is, do you care more about getting the championship, whatever it takes, or do you want a championship, but in a context where you are still getting a lot of yards and you're still the guy? And I, I think if it's the latter, there aren't going to be anywhere near as many options for you that meet that set of criteria.
2: Yeah, I mean, who even uses a single running back to be the guy anymore? I mean, there's only a handful of teams that do it. Uh, Dallas is one of them right. this year with Ezekiel Elliott, but a lot of the other teams... Uh, we talked about, I think on one of these, about how Oakland had three running backs that combined to be Ladanian Tomlinson with the three of them. And even uh, the Patriots and the Falcons, these are multiple running back teams. Most teams are going that way. So if you're going to ask a team, hey, bring me in and I've got to be X, Y and Z for you. Like, okay, well, let me just get my machine to warp you back to 2001 because right. guys don't do that anymore. Yep. So it's almost like no matter where he goes, there's going to have to be another sort of option. And maybe even if he stays in Minnesota, there would have to be a conversation with Pat Shermer to say, look, you're going to play more of the LeGarrett Blunt line of like three tight end runs when you've got the lead or when we're. Killing clock or whatever, and we're going to use McKinnon and drafted player X to be our all-around backs that come out of the backfield. If you could take that role, you can work in Pat Shermer's offense. Can he take that role? I wouldn't take uh, that
3: chance, though. No way. Yeah. No way. I take that chance. I don't ta- I don't want to be the team because here's the problem. I could see him agreeing to something. And then a month in or or two games in being like, oh, this isn't really what I expected. That's what I don't trust. If I'm the Vikings, I don't trust it. If I sit him down and I say, you know, you're going to play the blunt role. And he's like, oh, okay, cool. I know what's going to happen. Three games in, he's going to storm in to Zim's office and say, where are my carries? Right. And and my point with the Cowboys is this. I think in the perfect world, he would look and say, I'm going home to Dallas, and I get to play in front of my friends and family on a weekly basis, and you know they got a really good back there. And then three games in, he says, but I used to carry the ball a lot more. Yeah, I don't want to be the team that that has to explain that to him, because at that point, he's more of a pain than a contributor to me.
1: Here are two teams that I think make a lot of sense, in some ways, because they do a little bit of what the Vikings have always tried to do, and maybe the Vikings will do things differently if Adrian Peterson's not here, but... Denver and Seattle, where they both have good defenses, they both have probably a market either for a running back or, in Denver's case, a quarterback situation that isn't completely settled, so they may need a running back, and they're both teams that are reasonably close to being able to win a championship. I mean, Denver obviously didn't make the playoffs this year, but a year off a Super Bowl, and and Seattle is a team that is playing deep into the playoffs every year and, and certainly needs to settle its running back situation after... Losing Marshawn Lynch a couple of years ago. I mean, do either of those teams belong on the radar as we they, as we go through this for the next? They month probably
3: here? do. Makes sense. Here is my question: <laughs> How close are we uh, to being in in an era where guys like Peterson are not useless? But if you can't catch, your value is now declined. In a huge way. I mean, it's been it's been a long time. It's we may been, not see another guy like Peterson, right. but it's been it's been for a long time now. It's been really nice to have backs who can catch, and it's become more and more important. But to me, we're to a point now where if you don't have that type of guy,
1: you're it, not probably getting drafted seventh overall. Exactly.
3: That that's my point. Is is are, are we close to an era now where if a guy comes out of college and he can run the ball and he's great at that, but his blocking is very suspect and he can't catch? Saying, yeah, you know what? We'll take in the second or third round now, buddy. Mm, you know, the thing I would
2: dispute. Don't know the answer. The that. thing I would dispute there is Peterson was such a special player yeah. in college. There was really no question that he was going to be a superstar. Yeah, but I mean, there's a
1: singular talent there that yeah.
3: is. But pretty I'm saying, special. It's, is the it's, thinking going to change there?
2: But he was so spectacular that I think, like Zeke Elliott was too. Now, he was an all-around back coming right. out of college, but still, a guy who rises so far above as a prospect that there's just no way that somebody's not going to accept that. I would also argue this, that when Favre was here and when he's at his best, he's averaging like eight and a half yards a catch. Now, that doesn't mean that he's a dynamic dual threat back, but it added to his value that he could make big plays on screens and things. It's,
1: 43 catches or something.
2: That you yeah. Think. It, it, right. And if you look at Ezekiel Elliott, he had something like 30 this year,
3: 35. But I the mean, game changes more and more now. No,
2: I, I agree. So I just it's mean changing. there's always going to be a place for a running back sure, who I'm, can just, just blow you out of far, the water like that.
3: I'm, I'm saying as, as far as coming out of the draft, the value. I mean, if Peterson had come out uh, in, into the draft in 1976. He would have been the first, first pick. Yeah, first pick. I'm saying as far as the league now and the philosophies of the league changing where if a guy comes out as a one-dimensional back and can run, you say, that's really good and that would be nice to have, but our offense is generated and runs on these three things and you've got one of them.
1: Well, and you wonder too, I mean, would we see a guy get to the NFL being that type of a guy that puts up the numbers to attract that much attention? In some ways – Those guys get weeded out by college teams that don't play that way that much anymore. I mean, a lot of these college teams now, it's spread offenses, throw the ball around, yeah, we're going to run, but everything's going to be out of the shotgun anyway. So that thing sort of maybe takes care of itself in the sense that by the time you get to the NFL, you have probably in a lot of cases already figured out whether you can play in a passing game or not because college teams throw it so much.
2: I would say that there are very few prospects that ever come out that are that explosive and that are his size with his speed and those measurables, and they'll always be valuable. They'll always be important. I got one more thing to throw at you guys before we wrap up. Sure. Which is I was just uh, thinking about, I know, Judd, you want to go home. Um, I was thinking about this when I was watching Chris Hogan play in the Super Bowl that he was a restricted free agent last year, and the Bills thought, you know, we'll be able to re-sign him, and it'll be fine, and then he'll add nice wide receiver depth to having Sammy Watkins and Robert Woods. And the Patriots swooped in like the geniuses they are, and they not only offered him a restricted free agent offer sheet, but they also made it so the cap hit in the first year was too high for the Bills to afford. And now the Vikings have more cap flexibility than the Bills did last year. But when I was thinking about Adam Thielen, this yep. came to mind that, you know, I'm looking at the free agent crop of wide receivers, and I saw a report the other day that Kenny Stills, who caught 42 passes, good deep threat, but 42 passes, thinks that he should be getting around $30 million for four or five years wow. this year. And if you're thinking about that, you might say, all right, well, if I'm the Chicago Bears and I'm going to lose Alshon Jeffrey, <coughs> could I get myself either a receiver who had a lot of catches and showed a lot of talent last year with a big contract, but could I just get him in free agency, or force my division foe yeah. to really put themselves in a tough spot with the cap because they want to get an Andrew Whitworth. They want to get Riley Reef. They want to spend their money on tackles. Well, too bad. If you want to keep your Adam Thielen, now all of a sudden you've got to have him for an eight or $9 million cap hit next year. I think it's a reasonable possibility. Well,
1: and you wonder if the Vikings will... Head that off at the pass and say we're going to get something done with him before he gets to that point, so that we can structure it the way we want to. Which they're pretty smart about doing. They are do it. They are smart They've about doing that. They've done a good that. job with and that. And, and you correct. wonder if they're going to get to that point with him where they say we're just going to
3: get a deal done before you get to. But if you're the Packers, the would you do it with him? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Probably. Because my point, but my point is, <coughs> if the Vikings aren't proactive, that could cause them lots of angst. Yep. Matthew's right. Yeah. And he'd be it, pretty smart. And, and he's a guy that will attract plenty of attention. Plenty to deal with.
1: Yeah, he's certainly a guy that will attract some attention and uh, probably a guy the Vikings need to get wrapped up here in the next month or so so they can avoid themselves that potential headache.
2: If you're Thielen's agent, though, you're wouldn't you be saying, hey, let's let it get to March 9th or yeah. March 7th when they can start talking to these yeah. guys and let's just make a few phone calls and let's see if anybody really wants to throw you, a bucket of cash at us. What
3: if, if you're his reps, went to the Vikings right now, though, and said this could happen, you might want to think about it. Mm-hmm. And see if they'll come back with a uh, three-year contract or something like that. Because I'll tell you this, if the Packers decide to spend on the open market this offseason, could make the 2017 season very interesting for a Super Bowl that's going to be held in Minneapolis, Minnesota. It
1: certainly could. And we will have plenty of time to dive into some of the offseason machinations here in the next couple of weeks. Thanks for listening to this episode. We will be back with more off-season chatter next week as we get closer to put the Randy start Moss of the, the combine, of and next the free year, agency. Uh, Judd wants Randy Moss in the Hall of Fame. And he also like wants it. the number retired, but he's willing to take the high road. He's willing to uh, be the bigger man and, and put aside whatever media differences he may have had with Randy Moss and try to get him in the Hall of Fame. So we will be back with the great man Judd Zolgad, as well as Matthew Collar. Uh, I'm Ben Gessling. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you soon.